Hi, I'm Bob Eckblad. Welcome to my podcast, Disciple, Word, Spirit, Justice, Witness. I want to continue looking at different healing stories in John's Gospel. I'd like to look today at the healing of the man born blind in John chapter 9. I've been reading this the last few days with uh, different groups that I read with. Last night it was with a bunch of uh, guys in a recovery house in uh, Russia, Krasnodar. And uh, a lot of things just became clear. Um, Each time I read it with different groups, I I feel like I'm almost like reading it for the first time. And this afternoon, I read it again with a bunch of people, you know, from our faith community, Tierra Nueva, and and some people that came in off the streets who, you know, had never really read with us. And I've been reading it recently, beginning in chapter 8, rather than in chapter 9, where it's traditionally uh, started. And right prior to uh, this healing story of the man born blind, it says in verse 59, Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So um, Jesus had had a really difficult encounter with the Jewish leaders in the temple, and um, he was being dishonored by them. They were um, really getting down on him. And... um, you know, he was talking about Abraham. Um, He says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And so the Jews said to him, you're not even 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And then Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. And of course, that uh, I am statement, ego emi, is the Greek equivalent of God's self-revelation Uh, back in the Septuagint of of Exodus chapter 3, where the Lord uh, identifies his name as I am who I am. And um, anyway, in verse 59 of uh, John 8, it says, Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself, and he went out of the temple. So imagine, this is God himself in the flesh, who's about ready to be stoned by the religious leaders and uh, of his own people, the chosen people. And um, and they're going to kill him. They're going to they're going to stone him to death. But Jesus he hides himself, and he goes out of the temple. So it's like uh, the cops, the religious cops, are, are about to bust Jesus, and um, and so he takes off, and he's like a fugitive. He's running for his life. And then chapter nine, verse one: As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. So I was asking the Russian guys um, whether they would be focused on. I guess, taking note of someone like, you know, like a blind beggar or someone like that when they were running from the cops. And everyone was like, no, we'd be, we wouldn't even be thinking about anybody. We'd just be running for, you know, running for, to, looking for a place to hide out. And uh, today our, our group included many people that had, you know, been running from the law a lot of their lives and same thing. So it's interesting that Jesus was, um, you know, he passed by straight out of that encounter where he's about ready to be executed you know, by a mob, and um, and he sees a man blind from birth. And um, and then it's there where his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And uh, we got talking with both groups, the Russians and, and our group at Tirunueva, about what is the image of God that these disciples have? You know, what what does their question reveal about how they view God? And people were saying, well, it's, you know, God here is seen as a punishing God who is going to punish this, um, 
this man who's born blind with blindness because of the sin of his parents or possibly his own sin. But how could a how could someone um, have sin if they're not even born yet, if he's born blind? So it looks like the image they have is of an unjust God, doesn't it? You know, a God who's meeting out punishment for, um, you know, for sins that, that someone hasn't even willfully committed. And I was asking whether many people see God that way as, as a God who would punish them for their own sins or punish them uh, because of the sins of their parents. And people were saying, oh, yeah, that's a common view of God in, in, in Russia. You know, and, and of course, our people here would, would agree. And, um, you know, and we talked about how it's common for people to, for us to blame our parents for some of the conditions that we have. And in the room today, there were some people that had been crack smokers, you know, serious crack addicts. And when they were pregnant, when they had their children, and there were adult uh, children of these parents that had been crack babies themselves in the group. And, you know, and so um, it's a normal thing with uh, people on the margins in North American settings um, to be directly affected by, you know, the addictions of their parents. And, uh, you know, and, and maybe um, a father who, you know, who ends up in prison shortly after uh, the birth of, of the child or, or even when the mother's pregnant. And, um, and that affects the children, doesn't it? And so uh, it's easy to, in a jail setting to have a big discussion about how, you know, how people's parents contributed to their delinquency, to their, you know, to their sins, to their addictive lifestyles. Um, and it's also easy to blame ourselves, you know, for things and, um, and to see God as, you know, as, as punishing. And, um, and so let's just see what Jesus says. Um, well, first of all, you know, what image of God is portrayed by Jesus? Um, you know, if Jesus does reveal God, which John's gospel really clearly states that, that Jesus reveals God, you know, um, it says in John chapter one, no one has seen God at any time, but the son is the one who reveals God, right? And, um, that's John chapter one, verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only God, only begotten God who is in the bosom of the father. He has explained him or he has made him known. And um, and so what image of God do we have even prior to the disciples' question? Well, we have Jesus himself saying before Abraham was born, I am. And so uh, we have a God who is vulnerable, you know, engaging with uh, human beings who are opposing him to the point where they're ready to stone him to death. They're picking up stones to throw him out. And, um, and Jesus being God, he hides himself and he goes out of the temple, but he doesn't confront these, uh, antagonists. He doesn't strike them dead. He doesn't exercise his power as God to, you know, to protect himself in any way. He, um, he hides himself and he leaves and, and then right away, he's completely present to somebody who is blind from birth. And, um, and then, um, and so clearly he's not revealing a God, the God that the disciples are envisioning, is he? And, um, and then in verse three, Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents. Okay. So Jesus refuses to cast blame. 
but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so really this is an occasion for God to uh, display works that are um, going to be done through this, you know, through, uh, through this man, you know, through, you know, through his, his situation, his, his problem. And this reminds me a lot of, you know, John chapter five, when Jesus is healing on the Sabbath and, um, you know, he's being critiqued for, for the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda. And, you know, and he responds to the Pharisees by saying, my father is working until now and I myself am working, you know, so uh, the works of God are going to be displayed in this man. Um, and then Jesus in 519 says, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself and let less it is something he sees the father doing, you know, um, or the daughter, you know, if it's you being a woman, um, you can't do anything unless it's something that you see the father doing for whatever the father does, these things, the son or the daughter also does in like manner for the father loves the son or the daughter and shows him or her all things that he himself is doing. And the father will show her or him greater works than these so that you will, you know, you'll, you'll marvel, you know, you'll be blown away. And, um, and so here we have Jesus, um, in alignment with that, actually doing what he saw the father doing and um, passing by and seeing this man born blind and then um, answering the question by refusing to cast blame, but saying um, that this is an occasion for the works of God to be displayed in him. And then Jesus goes on in verse four and in a way that includes the disciples um, and us because he says we must work the works of him who sent me. Okay, so we must work the works of him. In other words, um, we the disciples, um, Jesus um, and us, you and me, must work the works of him who sent me, that is Jesus, in other words, the Father, as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And I read this as talking about, you know, now, you know, um, now it's still day because we have the Holy Spirit and, and we're about the works of Jesus. Um, in Jesus's case, verse five says, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And um, let's look at what happens next then and how Jesus actually, um, you know, displays his works, the works of the father in this man born blind. Verse six, when he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. Wow. So um, what does Jesus do in this case with the man? Um, think about this from the perspective of this man born blind. He's not seeing anything that's going on here. I think he may be hearing the conversation that the disciples are having with Jesus and Jesus's response. Um, but then all he would hear was Jesus spitting. And then he'd be maybe hearing Jesus make this leaning, uh, bending over and, and making clay with a spittle. And then he would feel that wet mud being applied to his eyes. And then um, hearing Jesus say, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And, um, 
And then, of course, if he's blind, he'd have to be finding his way to that pool. And um, But it's interesting to look at what Jesus didn't do in this case. Like here, Jesus doesn't reveal himself. He doesn't say, hey, um, I'm Jesus, the Son of God, um, the Christ, uh, God, God's very self, the verb that was with God from the beginning that is God. Um, do you believe? You know, are you saved? Uh, do you, uh, will you receive me? as your savior. You know, he doesn't make any sort of requirements, does he? You know, he doesn't say, uh, today we are giving the example. Does Jesus uh, ask the guy whether he has a clean UA or whether he's paid his child support um, this month, you know, or whether he's currently smoking weed or using fentanyl or whatever the drug of choice might be, or, you know, whether he's attending church or a Bible study on a regular basis. Are there any requirements that Jesus um, gives this guy. And people are like, yeah, no, you know, there's absolutely nothing. And, and Jesus, um, you know, Jesus just does something so humble and, um, and he's doing what the, what he saw the father doing. So it's the father who's, who Jesus sees spitting on the ground and making this mud and, and then just telling him, Hey, um, go wash your eyes out. And which would be what you probably want to do, right? If you were a, a man who suddenly, you know, you couldn't see, but you felt this mud all over your eyes. And, um, and, he, and he does what Jesus says, goes away and washes, and, and he's able to see. And um, anyway, today we were uh, just making that point. And just prior to this, uh, like a couple of minutes before Gracie had shut the door uh, to the main 701 East Fairhaven side of our building, and because there was just a lot of noise, there were cars driving by, and we had it open because it was kind of a hot afternoon. And uh, right, just right at this moment in the Bible study, Jesus or Gracie felt led to go over and open the door again. And uh, right when she opened it, these two men walk right up. You know, right when we were making this point about how uh, there were no requirements to the healing. And, um, and these two men walk in and they said, hey, um, we're just wondering what... Um, my friend and I are just wondering what are the requirements to be uh, to be part of this church, and um, and we were like, oh, and we recognized um, one of the guys, a guy named Chris, who's been a fentanyl addict for a long time, and a number of the people in the Bible study knew him, and we're like, Chris, you know, come on in, man, come on in, and and we welcomed them in, and they were in the doorway for a while, and we were just saying, hey, you know, like we're gonna have pizza and a movie after this, and. You know, join us though. You, you know, have a seat. Either stay back by the door, or come on in and join the circle. And anyway, um, they were hanging out for a little while, and then Chris kind of took off, and and his friend said, "Man, I just really wanted to bring my friend, my cousin here, and um, I'm going to go try to find him though. I mean, I I I know that I need to be here, and I and I and I really want him to find it. You know, a faith community. And so, you know, if I can't, don't come back now. I'll I'll come back." on Sunday or another time. And so anyway, they ended up taking off, but all of us were just totally shocked because, um, and, and the people answered immediately when, when, when he said, Hey, um, what are the requirements to be part of this church? Everyone was saying, there's no requirements. You're part of it right now. Come on in. And, um, <laughs> you know, you can be under the influence, you know, of fentanyl. You can be, you know, not yet clean and sober. I mean, you're welcome. Come, come and join us. And, uh, Anyway, so it was just like, like enacted right on the spot before everyone. And we were all just shaking our heads going, that is crazy. 
How beautiful. And uh, already there were a number of people in our group today that were there for the first time. And, uh, you know, people that had, had been addicts and, and drug dealers and done time in prison. And, um, and so then we got reading this next part, verse 8. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? And others were saying, uh, This is he. Still others were saying, No, but he's like him. And he kept saying, I'm the one. And, um, and so we were just talking about that, like, um, you know, one of the women that was in our group there had been a just longtime crack cocaine user, and she's very active now in Cocaine Anonymous, and she's been clean probably five years. And, and I was, you know, we were saying, well, what have people just said? Have, have people ever said, well, that, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's Lorinda. And others might say, well, no, it looks like Lorinda, but no, that's not Lor the Lorinda that I knew back in the day when, you know, in the trap house and when she was getting high. No, it's not the same one. And then Lorinda would be like, no, that's, that's, that's me. I'm her. And uh, sure enough, you know, um, Jesus has done a work in my life. And, uh, and, you know, we were, we were just uh, amazed at the, I guess, the, just the, the ac applicability of this text to, uh, you know, to our scene right there, because we're literally seeing people's lives change. And, and that change is getting other people's attention. You know, people that are still out using and, you know, who are really not doing well are seeing members of our community who've been clean and sober for a while and have been really trying to follow Jesus. They've been baptized and, you know, they're actively pursuing their faith. Uh, they're seeing those people uh, growing and everything, right? And they're seeing them be part of uh, that we of um, of those that are seeking to do the works of, of Jesus. And, uh, and anyway, um, so they were saying to him, verse 10, then, how then were your eyes opened? Um, and he answered, the man who's called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Salome and wash. So I went away and I washed and I received sight. So here, this confirms what the point we were making about how Jesus didn't have any requirements, right? He didn't require the man to believe in him. He didn't require the man to change his lifestyle you know, to get saved, so to speak, or born again, you know, to stop using any kind of substance or whatever. You know, it was completely like uh, Jesus who did the work. He made the clay, anointed my eyes, said to me, go to Salome and wash. And all he did is just go and wash out his eyes, right? And he received sight, which was uh, something he received by grace. And, um, and they said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. So um, apparently Jesus had slipped away. Um, you know, the Jews, uh, the religious leaders, uh, perhaps were still at large looking for him. And um, I mean, we're going to see that soon, that the Pharisees uh, are suddenly breathing down his neck. And, uh, you know, so Jesus, uh, he took off. He was like a fugitive. And this really is one of the reasons why I've called my you know, my guerrilla gospel, um, guerrilla gospel is because Jesus was, you know, someone who slipped in and out of the, the public realm and, and was really being, um, persecuted and, and had to go underground and was having to hide out. And, um, uh, and he'd come and, and appear and, and do his actions. 
but then take off again and disappear. And this man apparently knew that a man named Jesus had anointed him, but he doesn't call Jesus the Christ or the Lord or, you know, there's no sense that he even knows who Jesus is. And, uh, you know, he hadn't even seen Jesus, right? Uh, because he was blind when Jesus uh, encountered him. And um, last night when we were doing this Bible study with the Russians, you know, I I just got, um, I got this impression that we needed to, I needed to ask the men whether, you know, whether any of them were struggling with hepatitis C. And, um, you know, these were men in this Russian recovery house, and a lot of them had been active users, you know, within that year. And had, many of them had come out of prison settings. And, you know, hepatitis C, uh, pretty much all the group, everyone in the group raised their hand and said, yeah, we all we all have it, and none of us have gone through the therapy for it, you know, the, the treatment. And um, so I felt led to actually enact this text by inviting people to to put out a hand and um, and to, and we prayed over each of our hands and uh, invited um, Jesus to you know to put his anointing for healing onto each of our hands and you know so that we could receive our healing the way this man received his sight and then I invited every one of us um, the men to put their hands on their liver and um, and we prayed that um, you know, that the works of God would be manifested in their bodies and that they would be um, able to receive their healing by grace and that they would be able to be witnesses themselves at how, um, you know, their their disease um, wasn't seen by God as a punishment because of their sin or their parents' sin, but was an occasion for, you know, for Jesus to touch them right then and there. And it was a beautiful moment. And, uh, you know, I asked people if they noticed anything. One of the guys said, well, I embrace that healing, you know, by faith and we'll see. And um, and so that's something that I think you can do with this Bible study really effectively. So the Bible study, um, you know, can, can continue on in uh, with a lot of detail after um, be, beginning in verse 13, um, which is where we ended up just now. But I kind of want to jump ahead a little bit um, and look at how, you know, what happens is, is people, this man is brought before, you know, the, um, the Pharisees and they ask him and he, he gives the same story now for the second time. He tells them he applied I, um, clay to my eyes and I washed and I see. And, um, and then the Pharisees are, you know, are telling him, well, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. So, you know, they have this legalistic mindset, don't they? And they're all about, um, you know, upholding the law and uh, not about just this human being and and just even delighting and celebrating that a man born blind is now able to see. They're just focused on on the nitpicky details of him being an offender. and um, And then about how Jesus himself is a sinner they say, how can a man who's a sinner perform such signs? And of course, really, they're accusing the father of being a sinner, at least from the perspective of John's gospel, because Jesus is only doing what he sees the father doing. And we saw in um, John chapter 5 that the father is working all the time. And so Jesus says, I, I too am, am working all the time. And, um, you know, so, and then 
Some of the Jews, they didn't believe that the man had even received his sight, so they call his parents and and uh, and they and they interview them, and he, they're afraid because they know that these, um, you know, that the Pharisees are are really about about, you know, I guess broadening the circle of accomplices um, who could be blamed, you know, for um, agreeing that with Jesus's uh, law breaking on the Sabbath and. So they're like, oh, talk to talk to our son. He's old enough. And uh, anyway, um, and you know, and, and there's this mention in verse 22 that uh, people were afraid of the Jews because they'd already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. And um, anyway, so then the man's called a second time, and, and there's this confrontation, and he actually gets kind of in their faces, and and their response is. Uh, to say, you know, you were born entirely in sin, and are you teaching us? And so they they put him out of the synagogue, or out of the temple. And uh, anyway, so that shows their answer to the question, you know, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind. And even though he's no longer blind, you know, they are communicating that negative theology, aren't they? You were born entirely in sins, and you're teaching us. And, um, and so then I just love this last part of this text where um, it says, Jesus heard that they put him out and finding him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? So, um, you know, Jesus hears about what had happened to the guy and goes looking for the guy and finds him. And, you know, Jesus is interested in a relationship with this man. and He's, he's interested in a relationship with you, with me, with um, it's not just about you know, liberating people and healing people, but it's also about, you know, being in a relationship and where faith is, is something that grows. And so the man answers, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? So we see that, see, belief in Jesus wasn't even a prerequisite for this encounter, for this healing, for, for Jesus to see him and, and manifest his works um, of life in, in, in that man's life. And then Jesus, uh, his response is, is really interesting. You've both seen him, and he's the one who's talking with you. Sounds kind of like a covert encounter, doesn't it? Like uh, here's Jesus who's um, like an under, underground um, gorilla guy who's, you know, who's kind of, he's showing up um, um, secretly to have this encounter with this guy. And he's, um, but he's being quite humble. You, you know, you, you've both seen him, and he's the one who's talking with you. And uh, the man says, Lord, and, uh, you know, that can be understood as the divine name, you know, Kurio, Kurie, Lord, I believe. And, uh, and he worshiped him. And, um, and so really, uh, this story ends in an affirmation of Jesus as Lord and worship. And, um, and I think the disciples who, you know, who've been present through this whole thing, uh, because you, um, you know, you are, um, I mean, they were asking in the beginning to Jesus, you know, who sinned this man or this man's parents that this man was born blind. And so we assume they're along uh, all through this. And and so Jesus, uh, they're witnessing this man, um, you know, worshiping Jesus. And, and then Jesus also then at this point says, for judgment, I came into this world so that those who do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. 
And uh, this word really touched our guys and, and ladies today at Tierra Nueva. You know, the idea that, um, that, that Jesus really comes so that those who do not see may see. And, um, and you know, our people are, are people that are, that are, that have recently experienced that they've gone from not seeing to seeing and, and they're interested in bringing in other people that are not yet seeing so that they can see. And, um, and meanwhile, those who claim to see Jesus says, um, he came that they would become blind and, but being blind isn't a bad thing, right? That just makes you, uh, someone through whom the works of God can be manifested. Um, but that's not how the Pharisees see it. They say those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, we're not blind too, are we? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. And um, I think this scripture really invites us to, you know, just to confess our blindness and, um, and our need to have our eyes opened you know, so that we can see Jesus um, as being the one who is the revealer who comes to us and finds us and um, invites us to recognize him. And, um, and when we do, to, uh, you know, to confess him as God, as Lord, and to, and to worship him. So um, I encourage you to prayerfully, you know, um, just be on the lookout and expectant for uh, Jesus to find you and also to um, empower you to be um, with him and in, and really inspired by the Holy Spirit to be part of the we that are doing the works of God, um, inspired by these stories in the Gospels.